0: project up and podcast presented by onyx hunt this episode of the show we've got a tailgate podcast for you with the rough grouse society welcome back to the show for episode number 114 podcast is presented by onyx hunt creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters come on everybody it's september it's hunting season you need on x if you're not using it i highly encourage you to give it a shot this season you will not regret it it has and continues to add so much value to my hunting it's incredible i would not be caught without my onyx hunt app use the promo code pup20 to save 20 percent on your onyx hunt subscription and by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Strong, focused, ready for anything. That is a Yukonuba dog. And by CZ USA Shotguns. Shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind. From the Bob White and Sharptail Side-by-Sides to the Upland Ultralight and Wing Shooter Elite over under. CZ USA has a shotgun for you. They've got pumps. They've got semi-autos. Head over to cz-usa.com to learn more about all their shotguns. And... By Gumleaf USA. That's right, they're back on board. Took a little break over the summer. We get it, but we are happier than ever to have Gumleaf USA back on board the podcast as a sponsor. I have continued to wear the heck out of my Gumleaf boots, and you can bet I'll be wearing them this fall in the woods, fields, all over the place. I've now got the Viking Tex, which is a little bit lighter weight version of my viking neoprene model same fit same feel same quality durability we'll be using them in the early season and perhaps out in the dewy short grass prairies of north dakota coming up next week head over to gumleafusa.com and use the promo code pu10 to save 10 percent from gumleafusa and by dog trick collars that's right for over 30 years doctor has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training gps tracking and more to support bird dog owners in developing top-notch dogs head over to dogtra.com for all your dog training needs and by esp hearing protection another new sponsor excited about this one i recently received a set of the esp apex custom hearing protection have been fiddling with them a little bit wore them out at pine ridge grouse camp last week to shoot shotguns definitely the most comfortable in-ear hearing protection i have ever put on i'm excited to give them a shot during some of my hunts this fall more to come on ESP. You'll be hearing about them, products, and my experience with them in the near future. That's ESP Hearing Protection. And by Trinity Kennels back on board. If you want to learn more about Trinity Kennels, home of the Epignol Breton, check out Project Upland Podcast number 88 with Jeff and Josh Reuter. Learn all about Trinity Kennels and the dogs that they are breeding, developing, and distributing to Eager Bird Dog. Owning Families, that's trinitykennels.org to learn more. And finally, Dakota 283 Kennels, kennels built to last a lifetime, unparalleled protection, one-piece rotomole design, Frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip head over to dakota283.com and use the promo code pu10 to save 10 on your next kennel purchase from dakota283 this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is jesse w left us a review on the itunes podcast app thanks for that jesse project Upland t-shirt Headed your way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. Leave us a rating. Leave the podcast a review in your podcast app. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the podcast. Send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. Love to hear from our listeners. You can email me at nick.larson@northwoodscollective.com. at northwoodscollective.com. All right, I'm going to mention one more time the Gun Dog Grind Rough Grouse Society Blend in honor of our guests today. Check it out at Gundog Grind. Look up the Rough Grouse Society blend. Get your coffee. Give a little back to the birds for conservation. It's a win-win. And with that said, we're going to jump right into our conversation today with former guests of the podcast, John Steigerwald, Jared Elm, of the Rough Grouse Society, and last-minute addition to the show, but certainly a friend of Project Upland and a Rough Grouse Society member, Simon Teague. This is a tailgate podcast. We did it from the field. The four of us got together last Friday to preview the upcoming bird season and run our dogs on some wild birds immediately after the recording of this podcast. So with that said, let's welcome into the conversation and on to the Project Upland podcast, John, Jared, and Simon.
2: We're going to hunt and miss all kinds
3: of birds. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's why I drag them through the blowdown
3: cover. Yeah, someone's got to shoot all those hairs. (laughs) (laughs) That one is just like etched in my (laughs) mind. The one right by
0: when we were getting out of the cover? Or no, you shot that back in the cover, didn't you?
3: I shot one, but John shot one and it rolled it, and then one that was laying there dead shot it again. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've
2: explained this so many times (laughs) from my point of view. So many times. He didn't see it. He didn't lay I, down. I shot it and it tumbled behind a tree and I kind of just kinda of leaned it on, and shot again where I <laughs> thought it was gonna be, and it just like tumbled and shot. So
0: the old double tap. <laughs> it <laughs> it was unintentional, is the <laughs> unintentional.
2: Are we recording?
0: Yeah, we are now. Okay. And so with, like, is this the podcast? <laughs> well, I just I figured since we're kinda on scene on location, we would do a soft intro and not my my so formal okay. welcome to the show, but with that said, welcome to the Project Open Podcast, <laughs> listeners. I don't do many of these where we are actually in wild places, if you will. So this is—I think this is going to be kind of fun. It's happy hour. It's Friday evening.
2: Cheers! cheers.
0: And yeah, cheers, everybody. Cheers. Yep. Socially distanced. Yep. Cheers.
2: Don't Just, touch.
0: Yep, and uh, we are on a location where, after we're done talking, I think the sun's going to be about right in the sky, and it's going to be pretty cool for early September's sake, and we're going to run dogs on some wild birds, possibly find a sharptail or two in Wisconsin. So, let's introduce my guests. You have heard from two of these gentlemen before. The third person hasn't been on the podcast, but you may have heard of them. We'll start to my left. John, quick intro and in what you do for Rough Growl Society.
2: Yeah, so uh, John Stagerolt. I'm the Regional Forest Conservation Director for the Rough Grouse Society, covering Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and Illinois. Um, basically, I work with our conservation programs, uh, trying to work with uh, private landowners, industrial partners, and public land agencies to manage for early successional and rough grouse habitat.
0: That sounds like important stuff very important <laughs> we talked about quite a bit of that when we were when you were last on the podcast that would have been was that december we went hunting yeah uh,
2: late, november. late november late
0: november okay late november we went hunting and not too far from here northern wisconsin and chasing birds and recorded a podcast at my cabin with one of our other guests jared remind the listeners who you are what you do
3: uh jared elm i'm a forest wildlife specialist with rough grouse society uh I cover the northwest part of the state assisting uh Private landowners with developing habitat plans.
0: And our third guest today, guy that I've gotten to know over the last year or so, we keep him pretty close touch, and we we kind of frequent some of the same haunts, not always together, but uh, today it worked out where you were going to be at the cabin, Simon, and yep. decided to join us here as we were going to be here. You are not a Rough Grouse Society employee, but you're a member. Yeah, and sure. And a, you're a new Rough Grouse hunter.
1: Yep. I was a member before I even started Rough Grouse hunting.
0: Yeah. Yeah went to went to grouse camp in eagle river last year
1: yep yes sir it was my first my first experience in the grouse woods really my first woodcock i shot first woodcock i shot over my over my own dog yeah so that was quite impressive yeah
0: planning to go back to eagle river this year
1: absolutely yeah
0: Yeah. late that'll be late september are you guys gonna go
2: yep i will i don't think john's going i be will there, not though. be i have an anniversary that weekend
0: now has that been cleared with swede it has been. Okay. He keeps
2: forgetting, but okay. I keep reminding him. <laughs> Just want to make sure. But, you know, it, it, is, it is tempting, and actually uh, uh, we're thinking of vacationing up in the UP for that for a long weekend, and I may actually convince the wife that we might have to swing through Grouse Camp on our way up.
0: It'd be all day. right to make a pit stop over there. It might be. Too far. It looked like a fun time last year. Right. I wasn't
1: there.
2: Very, very good time. Very relaxed uh, event. I think, uh, I mean, w- wouldn't you say so?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Besides shooting my first bird the, the lessons were very relaxed, very personal, but then also the bonfires yeah you I mean, know, they're just really perfect
2: so, something for for people if they're if they're nervous about getting getting into grouse and woodcock hunting i mean real laid back type event uh, really informational provide all the informational seminars, you go out with people for a very casual sort of just hunting experience, showing you what type of covers habitat to look for a really well from my my perspective, again, I'm an RGS employee, but very well put on programs. Yeah, quite
1: quite well for networking, too. It's, it's a little bit like college, so I'm still in touch with most people I, I met, and the group I hunted with, for sure, we're all in touch still, and, you know, trying to meet up this year.
0: Yeah, I think it was just based on, like, the recaps, and Simon, you wrote an article for the Rough Grouse Society blog about it last year, based on the recaps, it was, I think it exceeded expectations as far as turnout, and I, I don't know if it, I think it was a sellout, I don't mm-hmm. know if it was what the capacity was but i do know from talking to sweet a little bit that the as of today i think there are still spots open but it's limited to 100 people this year and now i'm thinking about this i might have to put this podcast out a little sooner than i was thinking maybe we can get some promo but there are as of today there were spaces left at rough grouse camp in eagle river it's like september 26th around there 25th through the 27th maybe
1: yep i think 27th through the 28th Something like that. yeah
0: it's like the last weekend in september yep. so folks can can definitely check out that S- simon since you haven't been on the podcast before and you just kind of hinted at like how you came into grouse hunting what was the spark that made you take the plunge and say i'm gonna go to grouse camp was that you were thinking about it before that
1: yeah it's kind of sitting right beside me right now so obviously it's a podcast not a video but yeah. my, my dog shooter is sitting right beside me and i was introduced to some sort of pheasant hunting the year before I started really upland hunting and it, it was like a preserve hunt in South Dakota right yeah. and I I liked the idea of it but something didn't 100% click with me hunting a preserve with you know 10 people in a row which I still enjoy that don't get me wrong it's yeah. just there, I know I knew there was something more something more than that and then you know throughout that year we um decided we wanted a, a second dog and you know, we got we got Shooter from a breeder, and she's she's a she's a bred hunting dog. She's been trained, and you know, there was my opportunity to to do something. And yeah, and living in you know living just west of the cities, obviously I can hunt pheasants quite easily. Yeah. But having access to the cabin of my of my in-laws up in northern Wisconsin, there was a no-brainer to to get into grouse and, and woodcock. And I I think pretty much. I, te- I teach most of the things I learned to myself, and I youtube and saw probably Project Upland videos, I would think. Yeah. And, you know, just got to figure out, I was like, man, that actually lives right where I spent my summers. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. I had no idea what yeah. a woodcock was or a grouse, but it right. apparently lived right beside my cabin. <laughs> so, yeah, eventually I just, um, I think I messaged you and we, you know, got into contact, right. and then I saw the Rough Cross Society grouse camp and yeah. I read through it. And what, what was the biggest thing was that it wasn't aimed at young hunters right so because you have right. kind of an issue sometimes as as a what do you call that? adult onset hunter to really get the opportunity to go hunt it's easy you know if you have an uncle and you say hey i want to go hunt when you're 12 years old and they take you out and walk you a little and you know yep. but it's just a little bit harder to to be a, a grown adult and message someone say, like hey you take me out you know we're both gonna walk through the woods and carry guns Sounds a little, you know, can sound, come off a little weird, but right. um, but eventually, you know, with that Rough Grouse Society Grouse Camp, that was just exactly what I needed and exactly what I was looking for, and, you know, I found so many people I know now, and the community is just so giving.
0: Right? Yeah. Safe to say that you're even more excited for this bird season?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, put, I, I can't remember how much it was, but... I, Thirty-eight plus days in last year, yeah, which I thought was that's pretty. pretty that's
0: like more than me <laughs> for for first
1: for first season though, and you know I'm planning on on doing at least that and and you last season I did not shoot only shoot shoot at grouse right I did quail in Arizona I did a lot of South Dakota hunts that's right you got that late hunts season hunts one and yep. I just ex- I plan to extend that this year so I have a have a little bit of a goal to try if I can to you know travel with the woodcock migration a little bit since that was really the first wild bird i ever shot yeah and i really love the taste of them too i kind of just that's kind of my i feel like that's kind of my calling
0: you've got a skill set in the kitchen
1: well yeah I i've just never like i've go. never
0: eaten anything that you've cooked but i can tell you that it sure looks good yeah yeah it's <laughs> it great, great
1: at taking pictures <laughs> well now you have the opportunity yeah you just got I, some, what do i got in the truck uh, it's it's a fastened riet, so it's a yeah. french fancy french word for potted meat with a good shot, a shot of brandy in it and you just spread it on a graco or a sourdough bread and you know eat it eat it when you midday hunt where is and, that pheasant from that pheasant oh that was clean out freezer so i would think most probably minnesota, western minnesota pheasants
0: wild wild birds from yeah they're here. wild birds okay. yeah
1: absolutely yeah, the, i shoot some preserved birds but usually i cook those up immediately i don't freeze those and yeah, yeah. but there's some preserved bird in there i can tell you because i every time i get one they the only birds you find they have a lot of fat on them. Yep. That's the only good thing about a preserved bird. Oh, So I take fat. the fat off and render them yep. so that that fat is in there.
0: Gotcha. How old is Shooter? Shooter six. Six. Okay. So you you had him for a while, and I've her. I, I know her, and you've yep. had her for a while, but you did you get her with the intent to hunt, or did that come after the fact? You kinda hit it kind of I think it
1: kind of came together. Okay. Right. I had an idea I wanted to hunt. We knew we wanted a second dog, and and we kind of you know set on that thought that it should be a dog that at least should be able to bring a bird back and you know just with a lot of cir- circumstances that happened at that time we found that breeder and she was ready to to get um to get to give shooter away you know she had three litters and i think she had some cysts on her ovaries or something so she she didn't want to jeopardize a third litter a uh, fourth litter
2: yeah yeah
1: and then we just you know we got to know her and we picked her up and i mean it doesn't get better than that she's trained she does a good job yeah. I didn't have to do much work with her. i still trying to figure out what she even does. She's yeah. trying to figure out what I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, She's here, trying to figure out why I miss all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think a lot of bird dogs are trying to figure that out, yeah. <laughs> including mine and probably Jared and John's too. Well,
2: not mine yet. She's, not yet, this yeah. This be her first season.
0: That's yeah. true, yeah. So I, I wanted to touch on the point that you brought up about Rough Grouse Society, grouse camp, and this won't be a, an entire plug for that. But from your perspective, I always – talk about this where i had the easy way in and i i I suspect jared and john were the same you guys can correct me but kind of family brought us into hunting and that sort of thing and there's traditionally there's been this dynamic where a lot of new hunter events definitely have a youth feel to them and that's what you commented on simon and that was strategically not the case with rgs grouse camp and that was swede's kind of brainchild to let's have this get together where it's definitely new hunter Oriented, but not necessarily a youth event, and that was the whole over the weekend and the bonfires and everything else. So that came together, and sounds like from what you experienced, Simon, it was kind of like perfect for yeah. you. It yeah, it
1: didn't. It did not feel like it was the first one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's
0: good. Well, that's probably because Swede's been doing Rough Girl Society events for a long time, <laughs> and he does a bunch of them. But yeah, no, that's cool. So, John, you have got a you got a new pup in the truck that we're going to see. She's she's well. She's not really a puppy now, but no,
2: she she's eleven months old.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, tell us about Hazel. We, you, uh, we actually we previewed Hazel on the last podcast because I remember we talked about we, the name and everything. We did.
2: We we had a name. Uh, she was yep. uh, on on her way. Yep. Um. But uh, yeah, she's eleven month old. Uh, Vishla. Um. Settled on on that breed after hunting over actually Jared's dog, uh, getting an opportunity to to know know Jared's Jared's dog. Just sort of fell in love with the breed. Kind of glad I settled on it because I uh, can't be happier with Hazel. Yeah. she's uh she's not yet fully grown, but I, I think she's pretty much she's pretty much there. She's gonna be on a little bit on the smaller side, I think for for visualization, especially um, her background. Uh, she has some European genetics with it within her, um, some direct lineage, but um, which th- they're usually a little bit larger or on the larger side. But uh, uh, full of energy, uh, a yeah. little. Little little snuggle bug, uh, she is. My wife really appreciates that. That's good. But uh, just so far, been really impressed just with the amount of just pure instincts that she has. Uh, we've been getting her, you know, training and socializing a dog, especially socializing a dog to other dogs and other people, have been problematic during a you know a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of hard to introduce her to people. But uh, just the level of training we've been able to do with her. Um, I'm just really impressed with the amount of just pure instinct she has. Uh, we've been getting her on, on some pigeons um, and working her with those and just, yeah, like I said, being really impressed.
0: Yeah, I've got a, the 15-week-old pup in the truck. You mentioned socialization. I feel like I've done a, about as good as I could do getting her out and going to places and meeting other dogs. But, yeah, that was a little bit of a dynamic that yeah, not ideal for a puppy, really. But on the flip side of that, working from home and everything like being able to spend a lot of time with the pup that was different than when i got my other
2: dogs that was nice she's definitely spoiled yeah (laughs) i'm actually a little bit worried about how she's going to react Mm -hmm. uh, when things kind of get back to normal and i'm not around and she has to be in a crate during the day and yeah she may not handle that
0: i have a suspicion that there's a lot of spoiled bird dogs in (laughs) 2020 (laughs) that's all right they they probably deserve it (laughs) jared how old is freya she's almost five now. almost five all right and you're telling me you might be might be adding another pup to the string in the spring
3: i hope so hoping to you know get a get a pointer this spring if it works out but as anybody who is uh working on getting another dog it's never always a sure bet
0: but yep yep that's for sure are you what's what is what has got you looking at pointers
3: um I, I i want a little bit uh bigger running dog for western work you know what vishlas is no secret they're a little bit closer working pointing breed not all of them but right um which you know for for pheasant hunting and grouse hunting and it it's not necessarily a bad thing but uh just trying to build a, a little bit more utility i guess and i'm i'm one of those people that i'm not totally set on any one breed and right. i'm always curious and i really like being around other breeds and other people's dogs because i i just like bird dogs in general so yeah for me it's just kind of a I see the pointer is kind of the starting place of you know a lot of different breeds of dogs too um yeah pointers were obviously bred into a lot of almost all pointing lines at some at some point so yeah just kind of uh i don't know it just made sense to me well there's a lot of different flavors of
0: bird dogs and the way a lot of people do it the way we all kind of we don't have 10 dogs you know we got one dog and six years later i got another one so you can only do so much with it but yeah there's there's a lot to be desired out there and boy almost like to try a bunch of them but yeah. yeah
3: yeah yeah it's tough you know i i thought about it for for a long time of what i would like next and change my mind a hundred times yeah but i kind of just have to make a decision and get yeah. at this point
0: so you made so. it over that hump
3: i think so you,
0: you got your so. you got your sights set
2: <laughs> yeah yeah that's good talk to him in a month yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> your dog will be this is technically her, her first season john yes you got her after the bird season last year, or like as it was winding down? As,
2: as it was winding down. It was winding yep. down. So she, she She was born um, on October sixteenth, uh, right? So Maybe twenty third. So got I don't
0: her know. in December, <laughs> and in in this part of the country, December last year was not a real good grouse hunting. Where we live, it wasn't real good no, grouse the, hunting. The
2: snow kind of came on right during deer uh, season. Yep. Yeah, gun gun rifle season. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yep. What has your you know this dog is she's capable she can get out have you been running her since say august 1st have you been getting her out in the woods running around wild birds trying to at all or what have you been doing um with her?
2: we've we've done a combination of different things we've been getting her off leash as much as possible kind of running out in the woods but yeah. uh you know be, before that we were getting her trying to do some water work with her get her yeah. exposed mm-hmm. to water you know your your basic sort of retrieval training um with dummies in, in the backyard. Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I've got a, a brother-in-law who owns a farm just 20 minutes away from my house, who's overrun with pigeons. So you got property. We, and we've got pigeons. we've got property, and we've got an endless <laughs> supply of pigeons. That's nice. Um, he's actually appreciative of, uh, of us <laughs> getting them. You've been over there trapping them. The, Pest we have been. What's
0: your What's your best method for trapping? <laughs>
2: my wife with a musky net
0: <laughs> really uh, Yep. Really? what what part do you
2: play in the whole thing um well i i normally actually stand guard near near the main an- exit from the, the barn okay. it's a very it's so a you're very a bol- low, you're the blocker it's a very low ceiling in the barn <laughs> so uh so we're, we're able to really just swipe them out of the air it, it's okay. it's That's like awesome. shooting fish in a barrel um <laughs> but uh but yeah like i like i said uh Real fortunate in that I've got that access to to birds and almost an endless supply, so we've been uh, virtually every single weekend for about the past uh, month and a half we've been getting you know five five or so birds we that's all we're able to catch out of the hundreds there are sure um but getting her some exposure to that you know she'll lose interest after a little while, but uh bring them out the next day and she'll She's right back at it. Do
0: you have launchers and stuff that you're messing with? Or we you... we we don't. Okay. Yeah, we yeah. don't. That's kind of a big step, really. It
2: it it is. It's a big step, big investment. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so far, not not displeased for, for where she's at.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I,
2: I think I think where she's at right now, we've put all these parts together, and she just needs to combine them all together. Yeah. You know, ha- having having uh, shotguns around her, having cap pistol retrieval training water training now she just needs to put all these pieces together and really understand why we're doing all this and get her out and you know in for her first season
0: she's primed for some wild bird hunting
2: yeah and, and this is uh i came out with the to the barons here with jared oh what three weeks ago two yeah. weeks ago um so this will be your second time out here where we're at hopefully get her we didn't get her on any wild birds last time but hopefully we'll flush some today
3: she did have a moment last time where it definitely clicked though yeah yeah she, she did do the thing where she was just kind of following my dog around and being a puppy yeah, and i yeah. don't know if we got into a spot where there had been birds previously during that day but uh she started running her own trail she actually kind of took off and you and your yep. wife kind of panicked and i told you it was it was okay <laughs> that she's at 100 yards she come back <laughs> i am not gonna
2: lie when i when i looked at the gps uh, and it said you know, seventy-five yards, hundred and twenty-five, hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy-five. I started to like, um, mm, might be trouble, but yeah, she 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 was starting to starting to click with her. I think you're definitely right. You know, like like I said, train. You know, socializing a dog during a pandemic is not ideal. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of our first time out, and we'll probably see it when we first go out today. um, That she's going to want to be. She thinks it's playtime. She's like, oh, who's this new exciting person? Yeah, who can I? Let's play. And Then it'll it should hopefully click with her while we're out there.
0: And she she's your first bird dog.
2: Uh, I I had um we'll see how the season goes. Okay. But I want to <laughs> say she might be my first bird dog worth a damn. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I mean I I had I've had labs uh, and uh, a Springer growing up, um, but not not like this this dog's got a little bit more intelligence going on. All right. She she's. Thinking through problems.
0: You're not saying that Labs and Springer's are.
2: I'm not. I'm saying the dogs that I had. Okay. Maybe I was very terrible. I was a very terrible parent, and maybe I didn't do good enough teaching them. Because I'll get um, the hate mail, John. Not you. I was just going to say you will. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it was it was a combination. Next thing of, he's going to say, you can't you
1: know hunt grouse with flushes. Right. right. There's, <laughs> there's, there's
2: definitely something to be said uh, uh, seeking out uh, dogs from a from a hunting heritage, hunting lineage. Yeah. Um, and then also spending the extra time focusing in on not just obedience training but uh training to hunt,
0: yeah, what was your gun introduction process like? and I only asked that because I'm at the point where I'm about ready to start messing with that and I've been through it before, so I'm not searching in the dark here but
2: so what we what we tried to do well her her first exposure to to loud noises were were probably um like fireworks and bang, it,
3: around the fourth of July, she's she yeah.
2: really she's really interested in what is this loud noise? What am I hearing? Uh, but then everyone we actually tr- like formally introduced her to, to gunfire. Um, basically, it, we had her kind of off in the distance a little bit, and I, I was all um, oh, about about a hundred yards away from her and in, in, in shot. Yeah, uh, we did want to have her real close and kind of just like. Yeah. You know, shoot right over. Did you know, like, have
0: a bird we, in the air? Or what was she we, doing? We, we didn't. We okay. just, we
2: just shot. Okay. So that, that's all it was. Okay. Not, not a whole lot. Maybe, maybe six rounds and ended it there. And we did that several times and kind of slowly got her Progressive, closer. Progressive. Yeah. But, uh, she was super, uh, I mean, from the first shot, she was really interested in what is that? I want to be there. Like what's going on. Oh yeah. So it was real, real good sign. She wasn't, like, wasn't gun shy one, one iota. Not but, hesitant,
0: not yeah. running the other way. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, but, uh, so that was, you know, to a, to a firearm, for, to a firearm. Um, uh, but we did also, uh, introduce her to, with retrieval toys using a cap gun.
0: Okay. Um, oh.
2: and then train her with pigeons using a cap gun as well.
0: So seeing stuff flying in the air. And
2: yeah. Kind of trying behind. to, trying to associate, we wanted, we wanted to try to associate the gunfire. So she kind of understood that as one element and then kind of bring, bring it in with a cap gun, that, that noise yep. to, uh. You know, to the process. Try to help her put those pieces together.
0: You're saying we a lot. Has your wife been pretty involved in the process? <laughs> she has been. She's, so been she's very. Not, she's excited about it. She's not,
2: the musky net, it. Huh? She's, she's not <laughs> outside the musket. She's been very involved in the process. Um, that's cool. Yeah, and and actually, uh, I mean, she's looking forward to uh, her first season as well. Yeah. Hazel's first season, just as much as I am. Yep. Um, so much so that we've, uh, we both actually we bought new shotguns this Ooh, year. We're, that's exciting. Serve sort of, I'm one of these members of the the late onset uh, hunting addiction my, <laughs> myself. I did hunt when I was when I was younger, right? Right. Um, for upland game, I think I've, we talked about that. Yeah, i I've ma- i maintained gun deer hunting throughout my entire life, but kind of getting reintroduced to to upland hunting, and i just yeah, it's how I'm spending my money now. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it, it can be an outlet for money. That's for sure. <laughs> it, it it can
2: be. It's an addiction.
0: <laughs> oh man. Well we got the rough grouse society guys here. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions along those lines, but let's talk about how much can we talk about West Nile virus other than it's again, not wanting to open up all these things and say, well, COVID, COVID killed it, but to a certain extent, COVID kind of killed the West Nile virus testing well, this year, or it, is that not correct?
2: I think it's, there's quite a few things that we can, we can talk about related to, to West Nile virus. You know, th- this is the, it's supposed to be the last year. Right. It was a three, three-year, three-year study, study yeah. for um, the, the three upper Great Lakes states, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. We have the results from last year's West Nile virus um, uh, data, and what we're learning is that it looks pretty similar mm-hmm. as far as what we learned from the previous year, in that there, there seems to be some level of survivability of the birds from West Nile virus. Um, there are still some concerns about, well, the birds that are being sampled are being sampled during the season. We have no real idea what's happening before that, the middle of summer, uh, spring, especially when mosquitoes are are way more abundant yep. um, and out in prevalence. But uh, this year, I'll say that for, for Wisconsin, uh, West Nile virus sampling is not canceled. They're going to continue sampling this uh, this season. But they're not handing out any additional kits this year. Okay, that's partly due, I should say, not partly, all due to COVID nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. The difficulties of getting staff together to assemble kits, distribute kits. Right. They, they just simply looked at the logistics of it, and they have about 600 kits right out there, out there right now. Yeah. They're are not are out there
0: from years past that yeah. people so, have that they can submit and still use this year. Exactly. Weren't so weren't those kits? And not, sorry to interrupt, but weren't those kits? Do they have to be refrigerated? They,
2: the kits didn't have to be. No, okay. no. There's, there's nothing that had to be done. Though they're, they're, you do the kit. they're stable. Yeah. If you harvest, if you harvest a bird, um, you can refrigerate that sample, and then next day uh, ship it out to um, DNR. Okay. Th- those kits in- included uh, prepaid postage, yep. so it made it real easy. But there's, there's about three. Uh, not sorry, six hundred kits out there right now. Okay. Uh, that's about the the estimate. So they're going to rely upon people getting the message out and uh, advocating. If you have one of those kits sitting on your shelf or in the garage, get it filled. They, they, yeah. need, they need it this year because they're not going to be handing out additional kits.
0: That's a takeaway for, for people. If you, you have one, didn't Definitely. fill it out last year, don't feel bad, do it this year. But, it in.
2: but, I, but I think, you know, um, a good thing to talk about, though, related to West Nile virus is, you know, this year, more than any other, is probably um, showing people that managing a disease is not easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know there there's a lot of talk about you know what can we do with, for for rough grouse? How a lot of the talk people went to immediately was how do we you know, how do we vaccinate our population? Right. How do we make them immune to to West Nile virus? Well, we're not really doing a good job handling our own human disease. <laughs> I, I don't think I think realistically we have to look at. Managing a wildlife disease like this, we're, there's going to be no silver bullet solution. There's nothing out there that we're going to be able to just stomp out the West Nile virus and vaccinate our birds and make them immune to West Nile virus. They're going to be taking their licks, but uh, the one thing that we we do know that we can control and manage for is Rough Grouse Society's main mission, habitat. Yep. We can focus on creating and maintaining healthy habitat for the birds to give them the best chances possible to not just weather West Nile virus, but weather a myriad of stressors and concerns. So I think, I think that's kind of the message people should look at is just comparing, you know, what's happening in their lives and how we can maybe translate that into, well, how do we, how do we take that into action for the bird that we love?
0: Yeah. It's been pretty interesting, just from my perspective, how this whole thing played out. And, you know, the three of us have talked about this quite a bit, but how 17 was a weird... You know, I've talked about it on the podcast. 17 was a weird year. Drumming counts were really high. People went out and found numbers of birds that were surprisingly low, many people. And that was the spark that ignited this whole West Nile virus conversation. It's not like it wasn't there before, but that really brought it to a head jump-started this three-year study we've got two years of results and i reviewed the results a little bit they were pretty consistent as far as finding west nile virus antibodies in the birds very few amounts of actual heart inf- infections if, if if i'm saying that correctly but like you said john the most important thing or one of the important things to take away is sampling a fall population does not give you a window to look at all the birds that could have been lost during the summer that yeah, kind of thing. So it's, we don't it's know.
2: Not, it's not a complete picture.
0: Right. But it was hunters basically voicing and, and making making that study happen and then obviously connecting with the agencies and the rough grouse societies of the world to bring it together and let's put a magnifying glass on this stuff and, and take a look at it, which I think was a positive thing.
2: Yeah, I mean and it, it definitely is a positive thing. We look at what has happened out of it. There's definitely been a renewed interest in in Rough Grouse. Yeah not just from a hunting standpoint, but a lot of landowners that, that I work with or Jared works with are really interested in how they can help with uh, the rough grouse population. Managers that I work with, uh, public land managers, and private consulting foresters. I've given so many seminars and training sessions this year for consulting foresters and even biologists that, that really needed a refresher to really learn and realign themselves and I how do I tackle this problem? What is the problem? How can I be a part of the solution for creating a, a young forest habitat to help these birds out?
0: Yeah, kind of the old uh, any publicity is good publicity sort of thing. Sort of, yeah. Got, got people talking about yeah. it. <laughs> Jared, you're the guy that's out in the woods more than most, I think. You know, here we are a couple of years later after 2017, that sort of thing, and I've followed closely along as a hunter, and I have, in my own personal flush counts, I've seen the population come back from 17 what have you been seeing this summer and spring
3: i have been seeing quite a few birds and one of the biggest takeaways that i've noticed this year is the brood sizes seem to be generally bigger yep. which leads me to believe that you know they there maybe some of those west nile virus impacts weren't as bad this year or they just had really ideal nesting conditions yeah. as well so but yeah brood size i think you know it's so hard to really get a good sense until people are actually in the woods yep. just because You know, rough grouse spend a lot of that brooding period and, you know, the nastiest cover possible, you know, alder swamps and really young forest. And so it's really hard to know how many birds are out there. But when you see brood sizes that are really big, that's always a good sign to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where until, like you said, until people start really like focus on and pursuing rough grouse and jumping into that rough grouse type cover, it's hard to say, but like this summer in particular, there's a lot of people that I think are Optimistically looking ahead towards fall for many reasons, a myriad of reasons. But my own personal collection of anecdotal reports—I feel like many people have been seeing grouse. And I—I I was joking with somebody the other day when I start getting pictures of grouse broods from my non-hunting friends. Like my, the light bulb kind of goes on. Like, oh, there, there might be, uh, there might be some birds out there. But that—that that could absolutely be coincidence. I and mean, we're talking really small sample size. But I think there's a reason to be optimistic, and I think we should kind of be thankful that. 2017 does not appear to be sort of this like over the cliff moment, and we have seen some positive positive jumps. But I'm no biologist, but I mean, rough grouse the wo- how many how many eggs can they lay, John? Do you know?
2: No, I'm not a biologist. Like 12 either. to four- I'm isn't a, I'm like a tw- Isn't it
0: like 12 to 14 <laughs> eggs? Yeah, so yeah, like yeah, it is. Yeah, it from is. A, I was making a joke. From a natural <laughs> perspective, they're a species that they. They produce a lot of chicks because they're at the bottom of the food chain. Everything wants to Mm -hmm. eat a grouse. They're susceptible to a lot of things, so they overproduce. And when conditions line up, you can really put a lot of birds on the landscape. And Mm -hmm. my fingers are crossed that we're going to find that this fall. I
2: I, I think we're going to. You know, one thing that, you know, I know a lot of people are are upset this year that uh, Wisconsin DNR canceled their drumming surveys because it's going to cause a lot. Well, that was my season forecast. I know a lot, a lot of people, fo- a lot of people focused on that as a season forecast and, and it, you know, I think it, it's, it's quite frankly, I know we talked about this on the last podcast, how I think it's kind of a bad way of doing things. You have to just get out there and enjoy it. Don't focus yes. in on, you know, some sort of season forecast, oh, season's bad, I'm not going to try. It's
0: a it's, bad way to make a decision whether you're or not you're
2: going to hunt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get out there and have fun. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Having fun, having the experiences, the camaraderie you know, working with your dog. it's it's all these other parts that you're gonna lose out on if you focus in on yeah. on the drumming cards trying to forecast your season. And not having this year I, I hope it, it makes people go out and learn what the season's gonna be like without it and actually take advantage of it. Yeah, that's never
1: no season where you have no birds, you
2: know. Yeah. Well we're lucky that that, that is
1: the case,
0: right? Like we have yeah. where we are at, northern Wisconsin, sure? the habitat is such that there are a lot of birds on the landscape and that number varies and it fluctuates just as all, as all wildlife does really. But there's, there's so much opportunity. I, I couldn't imagine being in a spot where I thought, boy, I wouldn't want to go. And I hope that day never comes. Of course.
3: Oh, Wisconsin's had some tough times in the past yeah. too. John has a book written in 1945 called Wisconsin grouse problems. And they actually, that's when they canceled the season, they canceled right? canceled the season. Oh, really? But, uh, you know, there were a lot of people who put in a lot of time to, you know, research grouse in that time period and set up uh, you know habitat areas where they could really get an idea of how we need to be managing for that those birds and we need to do that now too
0: i i've definitely heard that before and i know that wisconsin did cancel the season and that gets referred to a lot when especially when the west nile virus conversations were really steamrolling in 17 was that the whole idea that hunting is compensatory and not additive to rough grouse mortality and I would imagine that some of those studies that happened at that time played into it now we got to fast forward and realize that West Nile virus likely wasn't here at that time and so that's a new thing on the landscape but again that's that's
2: what the scientists are for. There, there are
3: a lot of other diseases in grouse, too. Yeah. So in that time period, they were probably
2: fighting something different. Something else, yeah. I mean, e- even with the West Nile virus sampling that's been going on the past several years, we're learning more and more about the eastern equine encephalitis being mm-hmm, in the yep. rough grouse population, information we didn't have before. So, yeah, th- there there are disease issues like that out there. But, uh, you know, we, we definitely do have it probably down more to a science here in the Lake States as far as managing a rough grouse population goes. But still, at the end of the day, a lot of it is based upon strong timber markets yeah. in our state. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, even going back to the 1970s, we didn't have very strong aspen markets in our state. And there was no outlet for that wood. But it, it took managers bulldozing down acres of aspen to make sure that we still had that habitat on the landscape. Not a very good scenario to get into where it's all cash out paying out to create habitat right yeah you're not using the resource the renewable resource we're more or less blessed here in the lake states that we have that strong timber market for an outlet for the wood to pay for the management yeah Yeah. along those lines i did a workshop
3: a couple years ago um, about aspen management and grouse management and we had the retired DNR Forester for uh Barron County with us and the current DNR Forester was setting up a aspen timber sale in a chunk that when he was a forester, they bulldozed. So now he was there no being way. able to see that rotated into a really profitable, productive timber sale. Yeah. But in his time period, you know, they didn't have an outlet for it. So things things change over time, but uh, you know, we just we need to keep our our heads down and due diligence to make sure that we're headed in the right direction.
0: Right. Well, speaking of timber markets, John, I, I only know this from basically some conversations with you over the last couple of weeks, but a that's, lot of conversations. that's, that's kind of the other, <laughs> a little bit of a buzzkill. There's been a lot of buzzkills in 2020. A lot of them c- coronavirus related, but timber markets have not
2: been immune to that. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the impacts there? They, they, they definitely are not immune to the impacts of COVID. Um, well, I guess, you know, the big, uh, the two big impacts that we've seen is that uh, Verso um, has closed two mills, one in Duluth, Minnesota, and one in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. And the Duluth one is, is concerning. Um, however, that mill is, pales in comparison to the size of the mill and the volume of wood processed at the Wisconsin Rapids mill. That mill was directly responsible, responsible for about 25% of Wisconsin's wood production as far as handling 25% of our our total volume harvested every single year. It's kind of a downer. Uh, That mill, it closed at the, uh, I believe the end of July, it was, Um, there's still some talks about how that mill could be bought, who could buy it, what could it be revamped for, uh, as far as uh, the market it could take advantage of in the future, Uh, but at this point in time, we have no, no sort of solution for what's gonna happen with that mill and how we can increase that production and get that production back. Just
0: to be abundantly clear, because we have, we've got Rough Grouse Society folks here, and I'm close enough to this where I have a good understanding of it, but try to remember that I've got listeners all over the place that hunt all kinds of different birds in all different places. They might be thinking, how do we jump from talking about rough grouse numbers to paper mills and wood (laughs) wood mills, right? So, But the wood that goes to these mills is often the... It results in the creation of excellent early successional rough grouse and woodcock habitat. Am I getting you, at that right?
2: No, it, it, you're you're absolutely correct. So those mills, uh, the Verso Mill, for example, processed uh, mixed hardwood, uh, so like maple, birch. it processed uh, aspen, yep. species of, of trees that are crucial uh, when they're young to the the habitat, the cover for grouse and woodcock. So a lot of these. A lot of these paper mills, um, they, they accepted the wood from commercial timber harvests. And those timber harvests were what created that young, early successional habitat uh, for grouse and woodcock, where people go. And essentially, without that outlet for that wood, uh, we can cut the wood down, but there's no outlet for that market. So the management doesn't pay for itself. So we have to find ways to get still get that acreage accomplished. Uh, it's an uphill battle, and we don't have have those markets. So, yeah.
1: W- do you know what industries that wood went into? Why why did that mill have to close down?
2: And so, it the paper that they that they produced is is print paper, and print paper has been declining. It, it's a declining product. Think about people switching to you know electronic devices, that sort of thing. Print advertisement being you know less and less utilized, and mills mills that you see that have been competitive as uh, sort of the market has changed and evolved. Are really mills that fit a niche market um, in the paper products industry where they can they can tap into where um, products that are specialized that they can those mills can take advantage of verso really focused on the wisconsin rapids mill really focused on production volume how can they be the biggest and best mill left out there how can they be the most professional mill meet the satisfaction of landowners that they're working with as far as quality work being done on their lands to get wood to the mill but uh, they just weren't immune to the, the COVID crisis and uh, the changes that that immediately brought to the market. Something that I that's a good question, Simon. I, something I
0: don't think could be understated. There are many examples of wildlife and industry economies not necessarily working in tandem. Right? You you might yeah. you might conjure up the picture where industry and economy means the death of wildlife whereas for rough cross and woodcock that does not have to be the case and in fact there's a synergy between early successional forest habitat and these markets timber markets different economic markets and cycles that use this renewable resource this wood these forest products that we have that it's a win-win there's no other definition for it than a win-win
2: well even going beyond a Grouse and Woodcock, even where we're at right now, the, the barrens habitat that we're on, yeah. um, the counties that we're in have adopted a rolling baron's concept for managing their public land resource. Well, they'll actually cut huge swaths of acres of land to create uh, sharp tailed grouse habitat. So yep. it's, it's outside of more than just grouse and woodcock. Yeah. White-tailed deer, for example, turkey. Um, well, they don't need any help. <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't know, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I don't want—I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. It's not like a Debbie Downer about about this whole uh, COVID I feel impacting like have been oh, lately, impacting John. the timber market. <laughs> it's definitely something that we need to be very cognizant yeah. of, yeah. And, and how it impacts our work moving forward till those markets return or we develop new markets. But Wisconsin still has a very very strong forest pra- forest products market. Yeah, uh, we we have sawmills, we have um, all kinds of of paper mills still left in our state. it's not it's not the the death knell, but it's definitely going to change things. yeah, um and and you might be saying to yourself, Well, I live in Minnesota or I live in Michigan. How does this impact me? Well, Verso has, like I said, they had a mill in, in Duluth that that mills now closed as well. They have mills in in Michigan. Production could shift where they're now they're getting wood from Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin instead of from the UP of Michigan. So you could see some of those habitat acres shifted to being created in Wisconsin for those Michigan mills instead of being created in Michigan. Yeah. This, has, this has some landscape regional-wide impacts but it's not, by any stretch of the imagination, a death knell for, uh, or the nail in the coffin for, for creating grouse and woodcock habitat. Right. but Not it, so long as I'm around. Yeah,
0: <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> You're working for us as as bird hunters and, and for the Rough Grouse Society members, that's for sure. But we were emailing a little bit today, and the acreage, the amount of timber that those mills were were processing is absolutely not insignificant. It no, is.
2: no. So, so the estimate for the Verso... Um, the Wisconsin Rapids Mill is that it, it. This is the the most accurate estimate that I've I've seen directly from former forestry employees from from the Verso Mill is that it was responsible for approximately fifty thousand acres of habitat. Wow. Um, now now that's a combination of thinning harvests, sure, and clear cut coppice or regeneration harvests uh, that you would typically find Grouse um, and Woodcock in. So that's a combination of of different types of treatments. But still, definitely impacts forest management as a whole. Yeah, Jared, how about
0: on the private landowner side of things? Because that's kind of what you spend more time doing. Does there been anything different? Are those market influences coming into your work and influencing what the private landowners can yeah, do? Yeah,
3: especially with uh, pending timber sales. Yeah, um, you know, Verso bought a lot of private wood um, as well. So people who were looking at setting up a timber sale or moving forward with one are now waiting there's a lot of wood that is cut that's decked on landings with nowhere to go you know another thing with the verso mill closure is they took a certain type of wood uh, hardwood pulp product not necessarily a ton of aspen but almost all aspen cuts have some you know hardwood pulp mixed in with it yeah so they might be able to sell the aspen and now they have a whole yard full of uh, of hardwood pulp that for them is not ideal to have a bunch of wood sitting around and so it's definitely delayed a lot of landowners plans and you know certainly hurt uh, their consultants but you know one thing through this is obviously folks have been spending a lot of time at home and outside mm-hmm. so really quite frankly my workload with private landowners has increased a little bit just because I think people are spending more time at home they're not vacationing they're spending more time on their property they're thinking uh, a lot more about uh some of that habitat management and so you know it's uh it's for private lands it's a a mixed bag sure yeah you know i also work with farm bill programs that provide financial assistance for private landowners and a lot of folks are feeling a little pinched right now and maybe aren't able to implement as much uh, of their plans out of their own pocket as they originally intended to and are looking for different ways to to keep the ball rolling on what they want to get done yeah so
0: that's an interesting way to put it. I feel like we definitely, with the mixed bag there, it's kind of like this almost great awakening. And I know there's a lot of a focus and attention on the outdoors for obvious reasons this year. And I think I, I I can feel it. And I think I think this fall is going to be kind of a, a magical time for a lot of people, kind of rediscovering some things that they didn't have time or they weren't thinking about, and now they're they're out yeah. on the landscape, spending time outdoors because that's a really good obvious way to spend your time in in the situation that we're in so i think we're we're on the verge of something pretty cool for the outdoors and hopefully where we gain a lot of benefit is when people make the connection people talk a lot about people losing a connection with the landscape and the Mm -hmm. natural world and i think i think this year has really put a spotlight on some of that and i think a lot of people are going to either reestablish that connection or perhaps make it for the first time which is cool
3: yeah people are gardening like crazy yeah. and uh yep. fishing license oh, sell, sales yeah, are through the exactly. roof and uh yep. so i don't see why it wouldn't transfer to hunting as well
0: right yep well what are you most excited about john this fall and i'm talking bird hunting now <laughs> we're we're done with timber markets and all that stuff <clears throat> we're done with you being a debbie downer <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i've got uh two new shotguns uh to, two to, new shotguns yeah um can we can we hear about them Real uh quick? i acquired a, a two CZs, uh, the CZ Sharptail. Sponsor uh, of the podcast. Oh, twenty eight gauge <laughs> and right. a CZ Drake.
0: A twenty eight gauge sharp tail. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Did you get that from
2: through the Rough Girl Society through, connection? Through through, through RGS. Uh, okay. I settled on the, the twenty eight gauge. Um, uh, it, just, p- it just it uh, just it just oozed, I don't know, sex. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this gun. I like it's, I, I need got this. sex appeal. But then uh, the, the Drake was maybe a bit more of practicality. It's just like, all right. <laughs> what well,
0: gauge was the Drake? Uh, 20. 20. Okay. Yeah. All right. Man, yeah, you went big this year. and, and New a, bird course, dog, a, two a, new
2: guns. Of course, I've seen my um, my Belgian A5 blowing up on uh, Project Upland's yeah. uh, Instagram Adam, Adam took some nice shots. I did. think <laughs> I
0: honestly think that gun may have made a Filson shot
2: recently here <laughs> yeah. is that I, that gun huh I, yeah i oh, i just okay. keep i i just laugh every time i see that picture just cropping up somewhere else well, there, there it is again that's my there's gun there's my, there's <sighs> my, one of those my grandpa's gun <laughs> um
0: yeah. you had it you had that belgian a5 Browning before it was hip
2: yeah yeah but, <laughs> i but i i see the reason that i want to switch to the sharp tail especially a 28 gauge is that that to answer a lot of people's questions i've seen on the instagram uh, it's a 12 gauge your it, weighs, it weighs a ton, yeah. Yeah. and I wanted a lighter gun for longer, longer treks to the wood. That's yeah. why I switched to the, the twenty-eight gauge. Mine weighs about nine and a half pounds. Really? So, it's, yeah. You got a, a twelve gauge a browning five
3: thirty-inch barrel, very yeah. similar to John's. <laughs> wow. and it, is, it weighs a ton. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got a
1: light twelve yeah, nineteen fifty-three. It's it's not light. They, <laughs> no. I mean, I mean,
2: they're they're super cool guns. Yes. But, uh, oh, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're they're fun to shoot, but yeah, just looking for for something to a little bit a little bit lighter. I am getting old. well a 28
0: gauge side by side is is a good gun for the bulk of the hunting that you're going to do that's for sure yeah oh yeah simon what about you man what's what's coming up for you this fall what are you excited about
1: most excited about for sure is um gonna go out to north dakota northwestern north dakota to um, get after sharp tails and hunts i might see you out there yeah i would (laughs) hope so (laughs) we might be at the same place (laughs) yep at the same time no and, and you know i've the only sharp tails i've seen was you know running my dog right here yep just and and, and hunts i've never seen before so yeah i'm very ex- very excited about that and then obviously you know the whole season now understanding my dog just a little bit better and yep. understanding habitat a little bit better understanding what i'm doing just just slide a little better and yep. learning more you know and hopefully extending the season in arizona again this year
0: good deal yeah when when did you go down there last year
1: it was late January,
0: January. Okay, yeah. thinking about maybe the same time this year. What was the weather like down there? Beautiful. Nice. Yeah, just yeah,
1: <laughs> beautiful. The mornings <laughs> was just like what this is now, you know, just like nice and crisp. But it, it yeah. got warm throughout the day. Sure, but, but man, it's almost it's, it's just, almost
0: welcomed at that point oh, after yeah. you got a good walk in. Yeah.
1: Especially yeah. the last pheasant hunt I had in December was like snow up to my hips, right? yeah. drifts, and then going to there was just like that's not a problem.
0: So <laughs> you were we didn't talk about this. And we won't dive too deep into it, but you got to know travis frank last year you were on an yeah. episode of the flush has that aired
1: yeah just two weeks ago actually. two weeks week ago, it ago. It did. Okay. La- last week the last week's episode was okay. was my episode yeah was that was, fun it was fun <laughs> it was probably one of the hardest <laughs> hunts i ever had in my really? life too which well, i didn't have that many but yeah that was actually that december hunt early december okay um just before i went back to germany for christmas and and it was it was brutal like late season yeah. wild roosters in minnesota you know it's not like we go to south dakota for that and um no, we got lucky. We you know, we shot two birds and I cooked them up and yeah. it was it was a hell of a time and since then I've you know and and it's just a testament for the culture of of this group of hunters, too, yeah. you know. I, I just get so many messages after episodes like that and yeah. people take me out and it's just a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah. yeah absolutely. And you kept in touch with Travis and Yeah, everything. absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah, we we yeah. keep in touch. He just got a new dog
0: too. I know. Yeah, he got Tyler's dog. I, yep. was, I was driving <laughs> home yesterday afternoon from Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, and I listened to the Flush podcast with yep. Travis and Tyler, and they were they dove into a lot of stuff. Actually, it was really good. I really enjoyed that podcast. But yep. they were talking about Travis's new dog, and I know he's pumped about that.
1: Very excited. I yep. just talked to him on the way here. Yeah, yep,
0: good deal, Jared. What do you got cooking, man? We're uh, gonna we're gonna be spending some time in the grouse woods.
3: Yeah, grouse hunting. But you know, I've. I've lived in Wisconsin. This will be my third hunting season up here now. And the previous two years, I have been pretty diehard and borderline obsessed with grouse hunting specifically but i do really enjoy duck hunting as well yeah um and i've done a lot of scouting this year so i i hope to spend a lot more time duck hunting this year and then uh, are you sure you want to be doing that this also, year also <laughs> uh dabbling a little bit more into maybe some deer hunting too. okay um, but i'll still be doing a lot of grouse hunting and, yeah and as you mentioned i am from iowa and have a lot of friends and family that are um yeah nice enough to let me come down there and hunt for pheasants and quail and their roadside report just came out today actually and a lot of the state had pretty favorable conditions you know the western part of the state was a little droughty and then obviously they had the major Duracho storm which has really devastated a lot of the state as well but if you're able to kind of stay out of that they had really really good conditions so it should be good hunting down there and you know i still go home quite a bit and and Chase birds, yeah, and we're there, and
2: but. we're trying our hands at uh, wild racing this weekend. Yeah, really, <laughs> yeah. yep.
3: What was
0: the? I usually. I think I've just seeing less people this year. Usually, I kind of pick up on like, oh, it's a good rice year, it's a bad one. What's the feel this year? Pretty do you guys average. have any idea? Pretty average, average. Okay. Just from what I, I,
2: heard. I, I honestly have no idea. My wife, my wife's expert there, and actually, she's going to be the one <laughs> taking Jared and I. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She just how to do it. All right. Yeah, but we, we, we she's we have, training your bird dog, and she's, yeah, this ca- is my <laughs> catch, catch <laughs> up. this <so> is my <laughs>
3: first year racing, and you know, one, you know, when I moved up here, uh, I had a. A tough time, like really getting started grouse hunting. I spent a lot of time, a real a lot of really really unsuccessful time, and
0: it's a bit of a learning curve. It's
3: a huge learning curve. Yeah. I had grouse hunted and when I lived in Michigan before, I okay. had gone up to a grouse camp in Minnesota as well. But every state the cover just lays out a little different. And yep. Uh, my dog had not seen a lot of grouse either, so there was a big learning curve there. But it's the same with wild racing. I went the other morning and we got zero pounds. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like anything, you got to keep, keep, keep on, keeping yeah. on. And, and my know. my
2: wife harvested 25 pounds last year in a day. So yeah, you know, she she's the expert. She can <laughs> yeah. she'll teach us. So that. for all those listening her.
3: that are planning out their fall hunts or thinking like, ah, I don't know if I should do that because I don't know what I'm doing. Nobody really knows what they're doing at right. first, but yeah. you got to just yeah. go do it. And there's
2: there's so much opportunity. Yeah. Just take it, learn. Yeah,
3: especially in the Upper Great Lakes, if you're thinking about trying grouse hunting. Grouse camp is obviously a great way, but yep. aside from grouse camp, there are so many resources available to, yeah. you know, the, the state provides a lot of good information. OnX provides a Wisconsin's lot of good information. Wisconsin's really good
0: about it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. So you can find somewhere to hunt. You, I guarantee if you come up and do your homework, you can find birds. Whether yep. you kill them or not, eh, who knows? Right. But, yep. yeah. you know, it, it, everybody needs to, I think, do their do their homework and get out and try something new this year
0: yeah i would say i would echo those those thoughts and say that if anybody has been on the fence or is thinking about grouse and woodcock hunting give it a give it a dang shot this year yeah all right guys well we could continue we're having fun here but the sun's getting low and the temperature feels about right should we go uh should we go chase some sharptails we should
1: let's
2: do it
0: all right let's end it there thanks for joining me on the podcast we'll have you back again all right boys all right Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. Quick reminder that this episode was brought to you by Onyx Hunt Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA Shotguns, Gumleaf USA Dog Callers, ESP Hearing Protection, Trinity Kennels, and Dakota Two Eighty Three Kennels. Don't forget to visit ProjectUpland.com to read, watch, and listen to more great Upland Hunting content. And please, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, leave the podcast a rating and a review that really helps us out and it helps more people find the show. Thanks again for listening everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Up With podcast.